Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. It's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is really necessary for keto success. Oh, and keto lasagna. Ooh, <laughs> keto lasagna. Hello, I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And also our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Now, we don't give medical advice because neither of us are doctors. Right. We just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and keto ravioli. Oh my, keto ravioli. Uh, we share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes, of course. That's my favorite part, the recipes. Right. So let's start podcast number 176, Catching Up with Ivor Cummins. Well, before we get started with the fat emperor himself, mm. let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Right. That's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose. And the way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day, have a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all our energy comes from fat. Fat? Yep. The fat either on your plate or from that Krispy Kreme that you ate years ago. <laughs> if you're just starting, listen to our Starting Keto show at start.2keto.com or just start listening from episode one. It's all good stuff. So, Carrie, what's new with you? What have you been doing this week? Well, the best part about this last week was a little gray fluffy thing called Priscilla. Right. Priscilla adopted me a couple of weeks ago, and uh, this last week there has been lots of baby kitten shenanigans, and mm. she's very, very, very fast, and she's very, very cute, and she's eating me out of house and home, and she's terrorizing all the big kitties. So yeah. that's been super, super fun. Um, I love having a baby to nurture. Do you use a laser pointer as a toy with them? Well, you know, baby kittens have a very short um, range. Okay. So so you that doesn't work so well because you can't go any distance because they literally lose oh, track yeah. of things. So we're But we're, do you use it with your other cats? I don't actually, but now you've reminded me. Um, that's probably something I need to get. But she's uh, oh, hours of fun. She's got this little sock that a fan sent. This little sock which is filled with catnip, and she's mm. been proudly carrying that around the house in her mouth, and it's just been adorable. That's funny. Um, other news: I have continued to have the TMI issues that I had last oh, well. week. So this is ongoing, and we're still trying to work out what's going on. 
But I've also been in, indulging, although I'm not sure that's the right word, in some self-care. There's been mm. a massage and there's been some visits to the chiropractor. Wow. I've taken up a core class at the gym and I've also been doing some restorative yoga. So all wow. in all, um, I've been focusing on taking care of myself and feeling better. How are your migraines? I had one this week, which was the first in two weeks, so that was awesome. But mm. we think that it was mechanical. So the chiropractor has been working on making those go away. So that's oh, super exciting. Great. Um, and the only other thing about this week is that it's been super hot in Connecticut. Yeah. And I ran out of all my Seattle summer clothes back in May. So I had to um, embark on a July 4th trip to the outlets and and surrendered to buying some shorts and some tank tops and some flimsy summer dresses nice. in an effort to keep cool. So I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And then, this, and then right now, my focus is I need to start churning all of the keto ice cream for the Keto Fest VIP party. So that's what this weekend is going to be focused on. Yeah, awesome. And what about you? What have you been up to, Mr. Franklin? Well, all this week, I've been putting the finishing touches on my Bazoodles cookbook. Yay, Carl's yeah. got a cookbook. I have joined the ranks of you and other cookbook authors. This is my first cookbook, so don't judge me too harshly. Um, Carrie's already given me a few pointers about what I can do for version two to uh, fix up a few things. But what, what did you think overall, other than a few formatting things? I'm super excited. I'm super excited that that you've bringing this to the world. Yep. And this is exactly how I wanted to do it. I got about a thousand people that um, uh, pre-ordered it, and they are now enjoying the ebook and hopefully ordering ingredients. And uh, I expect to see some really great social media posts about all the good things that people are going to be making. That's amazing! A thousand people. Um- we are both very, very grateful for your support, but particularly Carl, because when it's your first cookbook, it's kind of, you know, the analogy, like it's like giving birth. It's like, you know, right. having a baby and it kind of, it's super exciting, the first one. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you all have been so supportive for the lovely Mr. Franklin. Yeah. And the corollary to that story is that the cookbook proper is now available for purchase and download version one which means eight recipes, tagliatelle, bolognese, lasagna, linguine and clam sauce, ravioli with a sage brown butter sauce, haluski, which is a Polish dish, noodle and cabbage dish with kielbasa, tuna noodle salad, a Hungarian goulash, which I gave away that recipe on this show, and Thai garlic pepper shrimp. So version two is due out in August, and we'll have six more recipes. Version three will be out in September, and we'll have at least seven more. And anybody who purchases the cookbook will automatically receive those updated versions when they come out. I just want that clam sauce. Oh, it's so good. You'll have to come over for dinner. Yay! 
So if you want to order the Bazoodles cookbook and download it immediately, you can go to cookbook.bazoodles.com. And we've linked that in the show notes to make it super easy for you. Yep. All right. Well, now it's time to give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club, which you can join for free at fanclub.twoketo.com. So who is today's winner, Carl? Today's winner is Richie Paré. Yay, Richie! Yep. And Richie wins a coffee mug with our mugs on it just for being a member of the fan club. And if you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online at gear.twoketo.com. Absolutely. Well, you know what time it is. It's time to read the, uh, what are we reading? You're reading me a letter, Carl. Yes, I am. Reading you a letter! (laughs) You frightened Priscilla. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming, did you? Okay, well, this is in the getting started uh, newbie section of the forum. And it's from March, but I missed it back then. And it's entitled, Long Intro Because I Gotta Tell Someone. Hi there. Lurking for a few weeks and finally joined. Love this place. Love the science and the fact that it isn't covered with photos of salad with croutons and the latest dessert like a few Facebook corners I've been kicking around. Love that there are also lots of people here doing this just to plain feel better. So I have to get my story off my chest because it includes an interesting side victory. I'm 47 and up until about a year ago, was sitting in my hometown, eating, drinking, and generally spending my life in front of my computer, except when I was at the job that I hated. Something clicked, and step one happened. I got the hell out of my rut, at least geographically, and took a travel version of my profession. I spent six months in one of the most beautiful locales I've ever seen, and continued to be miserable. Depression, carbs, and booze followed me. I next ended up at my current location, which I despise, thanks to no longer at least being able to get out for walks and hikes, combined with once again being in a sedentary job, I packed on even more weight. At 47, I felt like and probably was on my way to death. Another little snap happened. Despite the world thinking I'm nuts, I quit the job I came out for and took another here that totally changed my specialty back to an active one. During that time, in between the two, which was nine days, the lights started coming on. The drinking had to stop, but I couldn't see a way to make it stick. Unfortunately, AA is not an option for me. Long story, and this is already going to be a novel. (laughs) The new job makes it impossible to drink during the work week. I need my brain for this one, unlike the desk job world. That was step one. The new job also plunged me into a hell of pain that woke me up to the fact that if I didn't lose weight, I was not going to be able to continue foot and knee pain, I've got something wrong with my heel, was insane. When I get up from a chair, I have to kind of lumber back and forth until things warm up and I can walk normally. So two weeks in, I finally started a low-carb shift. A week into that, I went nuts and threw out all the garbage in my kitchen and went full-on keto, obsessively reading and planning and being amazed at what an easy time I was having sticking with it. A funny thing happened on the second weekend in. I drank half a bottle of vodka. Hey, no carbs, right? I was so incredibly sick the next day, I thought maybe something was truly wrong with me. I have since not wanted to trade how great I feel every morning for that hell and for the progress I'm making in fixing my body. I'm slowly learning that I just don't need or want it anymore, and I no longer get what I'm hoping to get from it. So, too long don't read. With this way of eating... 
I've managed almost a month now with no booze, and it's been kind of like falling off a log. Interesting thing I noticed when I was trying not to drink before is that sometimes I'd need, yes, need, to eat candy to the point I couldn't get the package open fast enough. I truly think it all ties in for me. It's early in the game, and still I hurt a lot, but it's slowly getting better. I'm losing weight very nicely so far, but I'm in this for the long haul. It's an amazing burden to be lifted when you finally feel hope that you can fix yourself. Thanks for reading this far, you made it. I've had myself trapped in a pretty lonely prison for quite a few years, and I sure hope I can make some connections here and enjoy the community and support. What a brave story, huh? That's that's a great, great letter that's in- incredibly inspiring and incredibly vulnerable and yeah. huge kudos. Yeah, agreed. And uh, she was just very bold in putting it all out there, and the response to that uh, post has been really overwhelming. So good luck, you, and keep going. Keep calm and keto on and slay those dragons. And thank you to everyone who's in our Keto Forum community for just being awesome and helping out and participating and sharing and building each other up because it really is what makes the world go round. Indeed. Okay, well, uh, now on the line from somewhere in the south of France who just buttoned up his shirt Ivor Cummins. <laughs> how are you, Ivor? Hey, Carl. Not so bad. Nice and hot here. Hey, Ivor. How are you? Not too bad at all. Hey, so uh, what's new? I mean, I'm sorry to, to bother you during your vacation, but uh, there's some new stuff uh, that uh, I wanted to talk to you about. It, it seems like it, it's kind of an old story, Ivor, that um, last just last night I was talking to somebody who wanted to go on the ketogenic diet for various reasons, right? one of which was weight loss, and uh, they were dissuaded by their doctor because all, all of that protein is going to kill your kidneys and all of, you know, you're, you're going to get heart disease, you're going to have a heart attack, the whole nine yards. It just seems like, it seems like there's more people in the dark ages still. Yeah. Well, I mean, I often send a clip from a talk given in London last year by Jose Suarez, possibly. Oh, I can send a link later. But he's a Brazilian doctor who's done huge amounts of research into all of the science behind low-carbon keto. And he particularly had this talk where he dispelled all the myths. And kidney and protein is one of those outrageous myths. So myself and Dr. Gerber wrote about it in our book, Eat Rich, Live Long, as well. There is no scientific basis. So someone with severe kidney disease or issues may need to be slightly careful, arguably, But anyone without manifest kidney issues, uh, the protein is largely irrelevant within the uh, proportions that we'd eat on keto or low carb. So uh, I'll send the link afterwards, but he goes specifically through that, the meta-analysis that looks at all the evidence for protein challenges uh, for the kidney and comes to the conclusion that from the published science, there is no evidence really whatsoever that protein causes any problem with the kidneys unless there's a severe kidney issue already existing and even then it's not entirely clear so i mean that that clip of uh, jose from brazil brazilian doctor it's perfect to address this issue it's six seven minutes of his talk in london 
I think there's two things going on here. One of them is that people have the misunderstanding that a ketogenic diet is a high-protein diet, or even the Atkins diet is a high-protein diet. Atkins didn't put a cap on protein, that's true. But the ketogenic diet, your protein intake shouldn't change from what you're currently eating, should it? No, not necessarily at all. I mean, you are lowering carbohydrate and backfilling with more healthy fats. And the protein can stay moderate, like we say in our book. I mean, 20, 25% of energy by calories, you know, you know, standard moderate protein. Now, there are people who do argue for higher protein and lower fat, you know, as a more ancestral paleo type diet, and it can be more helpful with appetite control and weight loss generally. So Dr. Ted Naiman, who I have huge respect for, is certainly more towards low carb and moderate fat and, and let protein be more of your calories from meat, fish, eggs, and real ancestral foods. Um, and that's okay. And maybe you tailor it to your particular needs. You know, if you're carrying body fat and you want to have further control of appetite, maybe go a little higher in protein and lower in fat. But the key thing that's consistent is always to keep the carb low and refined carb low. And the other two, then you can play with. So don't you find for most people in your studies, Ivor, that, that protein is pretty much self-limiting anyway, that it's really hard to overeat protein. It's really hard to like eat a huge amount of protein before you just can't eat anymore. Right. Essentially, yes, that, that's exactly it, Carrie, that if you eat relatively high protein ancestral real foods, they're kind of self-limiting, exactly as you describe. If you eat lean meat, for instance, and, you know, fish, mm. you'll only eat so much. And, and then your appetite will tail off quite sharply as your body senses all of this nutrient density coming in and begins to regulate things and control your appetite, essentially. So the two extremes are more refined carb sugars or vegetable oils means more appetite, less satiety, more problems, and more protein and healthy fats means more satiety and, and less problems. It's almost as simple as that. <laughs> it really is. I, kn I know that there are certain foods that sate me a lot more than others. Um, liver pate I've talked about before. Sardines are like a, a superfood for me. That's it. I mean, I find when I have terrine here in France, which is a kind of fatty, proteinous meats in a chunky patty, very coarse patty, very uh, rural kind of pate, uh, you just eat a little bit of it and suddenly you find out, oh, okay, I, I thought I was going to eat this full pot, but I've had half of it and I kind of don't really feel like much more, even though it was very tasty. And you just push it aside. Yeah. But if you were eating potato chips or pizza with all that carb, you know, too much is never enough, as the bankers say on Wall Street. So is there any news in studies about heart attacks and saturated fat and, uh, you know, any, any kind of uh, science that we can show our doctors? Mm. Well, there's a World Health Organization paper just came out, I think, in the British Medical Journal that Asim Malhotra sent on and I picked up on. And while it's not exactly as we would desire, it's going a huge way towards saying saturated fat has almost no evidence for problems with uh, health and heart disease. 
Now, it is still tending to say, you know, the polyunsaturated and maybe vegetable oils are good. A little bit of that in there. But it's moving a lot more towards what we know is correct. So it's saying, look, guys, we kind of got it wrong in the last 50 years. And real foods are much more important, even if they include saturated and monounsaturated fats. And trans fats and man-made foods are much more of our real issue. So... It's, it's nice that the World Health Organization is finally coming out with something a little closer to the truth. And I think this is the journey we're on. So it's a nice paper to see, but hardcore keto, low-carb people won't be fully happy, but they need to understand this is a journey. And it's very hard for the orthodoxy to suddenly say we were wrong. This is their way of doing it. They're saying, hey, we were kind of wrong. And hey, we kind of need to change. And that's okay because it's a it's a big ship to turn suddenly, as you well know. Yeah, I just saw some science that uh, somebody on Facebook posted to back up his claims about glucose being necessary, you know, and and actually helping with performance. The science was okay. I mean, I, I, I do know that marathon runners who are fat adapted, if they want to be in peak performance while they're running, maybe they will also take some glucose, but it's not their primary source of fuel. They, they've learned to adapt, obviously, they have a flexible metabolism, but the papers seem to insinuate that, uh, you know, that, a, a, that a ketogenic diet, let's say, isn't a good diet for performance. But these studies I'll post some of them. These studies do the craziest stuff. Like they take people and they put them on a low-fat diet, a high-carb diet for four days, and then a ketogenic diet for four days. Ooh, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, that's that's kind of either they're... They're either malicious or ignorant or maybe a mixture of both because obviously you need at least several weeks and Professor Volokh and Finney would suggest maybe six to eight weeks or more. Right. And that's why a lot of these, and I know Kevin Hall and others have done other studies where they've done four weeks of high carb and then four weeks of low carb following the high carb. And they're literally throwing the body metabolically and biochemically all over the place. And the body's in complete confusion. And then they're they're publishing the results from keto low carb when the guys are a few weeks after being on a high carb diet, switch to a low carb keto for a few weeks, right in the middle of the turmoil of adaptation. And they take the data and publish it and say, hey, it don't look amazing. What do you expect? Yeah. Or do they know that that's the wrong thing to do and that's really bad science? Or do they actually think that that's good science? It's hard to believe that such smart people think that that's valid science, but I give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they do. (laughs) I think there's misconceptions there too. The misconceptions about how long it takes to fat adapt, misconceptions about what gluconeogenesis is and that it actually does work. Um, Fraught with problems. You know, I still can't get past this in the in the the non-science space, in the kind of consumer space. There's still this thing about 
nobody says a word when you're eating Pop-Tarts and drinking Kool-Aid. And yet, as soon as you start eating steak and, yeah. and dairy and, you know, a, a few green veggies, everyone loses their mind. It's like, in what world do you people honestly think that Pop-Tarts and Kool-Aid could possibly be healthier than, than, than steak and spinach? But that's okay because they're rewarding themselves, right? That's okay. You're actually doing something good for yourself. Yeah, there's a mixture of things here. And some of it also is a sheer sense of terror in all the authorities who have told us low fat's good, meat's bad, blah, 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 blah. And now when people begin to say, hey, it might be good, there's, there's this fear. I think there's a psychological fear that, oh, my God, we don't want it to go the way that it looks like we were wrong. So they violently attack these, these concepts of just having meat, fish, and vegetables, even though, as you say, Carrie, that's completely obviously ancestral healthy food. But they worry that if that becomes the trend, then people will begin to ask questions, say, hold on a minute. If meat and fish and eggs and vegetables are the healthy food, how come you spend 50 years telling us not to eat anything except the vegetables? And, and there's a fear. I think the extreme example is, is a disease like cancer. So I find any time on Twitter, I even discuss cancer. And I'm, I mean, even discuss it. I'm not selling anything. I'm not talking about any cures. I'm not even talking about anything that will necessarily help with such a terrible disease. But as soon as you even hint that sugar and refined carbs might be challenging for someone with that disease, you get attacked like nothing else. I have never been attacked as hard as when I hint that sugar and refined carbohydrate processed foods may be a problem for cancer. So to your point, Carrie, how could anyone question that? And yet they don't just question, they actually attack hard, really hard. And I find that fascinating. So people are actually defending sugars and refined carbs and processed foods. They're actually putting in the position of defending what we know is junk food because they will not tolerate any discussion around sugar being bad for a disease like cancer. And that's fascinating to me. And I wonder what drives them exactly. I have my ideas, but we won't get buried in that. I have an idea. It's called sugar addiction, you know? Well, but also, you know, people, people do hate change. So there's that. And I think... I think for a lot of people, the thought of no more croissants, no more bread, no more pasta is so overwhelming because they don't understand how we don't, we kind of don't have to do without that stuff. We do in the original form, but there's ways of, of getting the flavor and all the good stuff without being made of calves. But I think people, because they don't understand that, they think that they're going to have to, their taste buds are going to have to suffer for the rest of their lives. And so they don't want to do that. And because they don't want to do it, because change is hard, they have to blame us. It, we have to be wrong. Otherwise, they have to move and they don't want to move. Yeah, and and exactly, Gary. And also politically, and sociologically, they've been very happy for 40 years to say that fats and meats and other things might be a problem. But now to say that sugar and carbs are a problem 
like to the earlier point, it overturns the wisdom of the past and that makes people very uncomfortable. They're very uncomfortable because they know that countless professors and professional bodies have screamed for decades that meat might cause cancer, that all these other ancestral foods might cause cancer, and there's been silence about processed foods and sugars. And they know it's extremely embarrassing for everyone in society if it turns out all along that the sugars and the modern foods were the primary problem. I'm making ice cream in vast quantities for the, the Keto Fest VIP party dessert. And I was so I was at the store yesterday buying every can of coconut milk I could find. Um, and, and I was walking up and down the aisles because it was a store that I wasn't familiar with, so I didn't know where everything was. And it just struck me how little food there is in a grocery store. It, it was just like I was walking up and down these aisles and it was literally like, this is like an oversized gas station or garage where it's just snack food. It was just aisle after aisle of like snacks. And it was just staggering to me. There is so little real food in grocery stores. It just, it, it blew my mind when I actually stopped to really think about it and look around me. It's, I, th I think we've become so, we don't even know what real food is anymore. I mean, we, we do because, you know, we, we've learned and we're finding out what's good for our bodies. But the vast majority of people out there don't have even lost sight of what real food is. Yeah, real food is um, a, a reminder that we are animals. And in, in order for us to live, things have to die. You know, um, there's a anecdote um, I'll tell from last night. I was talking to a friend. Uh, she was telling me about her father who had dementia and diabetes and, you know, was in his 80s and was just doing terrible. And he had a tumor that was sort of blocking his stomach so he couldn't eat. And they essentially just gave him some nutrients, uh, IV, and he wasn't really eating anything. And in two days, he just came back. He was telling stories to her that she had never heard before. He just came back to life. Like he, it's like his dementia was gone in two days of not eating. And, and that was one of the key motivators for her about the power of ketones and uh, not just for weight loss, but for brain activity and everything else. Amazing. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. And just a couple of days of pseudo fasting, of course, your glucose is going to drop, your ketones will go up and all the other benefits of pseudo fasting will kick in. And we're hearing that more and more, uh, no doubt about it. Um, an interesting thing in the next few years, which I'm fascinated by, um, is the reversal of heart disease. So as you well know, Carl and, and Carrie, the calcification scan, the CAC score, the CT scan of the heart is the best measure of atherosclerosis extent and risk. Uh, but what we're seeing now in the last six or 12 months in a movie we're making called Extra Time in Ireland with sports stars from the 90s, hmm. we're seeing the reversal of heart disease. And I've, I've sent out to the wow. network... And I'm getting a stream of emails with actual scan results reversing. So calcification of the heart, the best measure of your, your heart disease extent and risk, 
we're seeing reversals now. And primarily, wow. yeah, and we've got guy from 1,200 down to 800 and something. And by the way, this is unknown in medical science. So even Dr. Ornish, who did a really poor, badly controlled human experiment 40 years ago that everyone's probably heard of about reversing heart disease. Yeah. That was only based on some CT imaging and, you know, angio. And it's, it's very questionable, but we're seeing actual calcification reversing now in people all over the world. There's one guy from 3,600 down to 2,400 in two what? years. We're seeing thousands down to below thousands. And we're seeing Whoa. like 400 down to 260. So these are not within the error of the machine. These are actually the calcium leaching back into your body as the, the inflammation and the progression of the disease is just stopped and the calcium just slowly sifts back into the body. So this, this is a fantastic thing for the next 10 years, I think. This is amazing because I remember the first time we talked to you on Two Keto Dudes, Richard and I, and I think I asked you, you know, does, does it get better? Does it reverse? And, and you didn't know. You were like, we don't think so. We think that it, you know, it's going to stay the same. But then, you know, if you think about it, Richard, who went keto in his late 40s and did it for two years, but before that, he was a metabolic disaster. In two years, he did a CAC scan and his score was zero. And, and that just kind of made me think, well, okay, that, how is that possible? It must have been zero before he was doing keto. No, there's no way it was zero before he was doing keto. So this is, this is exciting news. It, it is indeed, Carl. And it's possible that Richard was zero. I suspected talking to him a couple of years ago at the time that he was probably non-zero, but no one can tell because he didn't have a scan. But we have a guy now who's 50 and within seven months only of K2 and low-carb omnivore diet, uh, classic low-carb keto, uh, dropped to 24. Wow. So you could see that a score of 50 or 60 in your 40s, it might not take long at all for it to hit a zero. So this is a, this is a brave new world. And it's going to fuel enormous interest in calcium scanning because... Already the CAC scan is vital to find out you have high disease and to take the right action like low carb and vitamins, minerals, magnesium. That's fine. But currently people, if they have a high score, say, well, the best I can do is slow it down in its increase, which will bring huge safety. If you stop it increasing like a 20% per year and you drop it down to a few percent per year, that brings your risk down to someone with a low score. So that's fantastic. Yeah. But the very concept of physically actually reversing this crucially important score, that's something people can get behind. And I know Amazing. ourselves at Irish Heart Disease Awareness, IHDA.ie, you know, we're really excited about the idea of reversal. Not that reversal is required, but something that medical science felt was impossible is now clearly possible with many people around the world. Wow. It's very exciting. It makes me wonder how long is it going to take and how much anecdata are we going to need before <laughs> before the people are forced to go okay, low carb is is the health healthy option. Yeah. 
I mean, there's still so many people. Well, the vast majority of people out there are kicking against it, are, are saying, no, it doesn't do this. No, it doesn't do that. And listening to you talk, Ivor, about, about just this one thing, and, you know, we all know about the other things too, that the diabetes is being reversed, and in my case, my bipolar, and we have endless stories of people no longer having depression, of, you know, Amy Berger wrote that her book on Alzheimer's. So we're proving this in like real life studies. How long is it going to be before everyone has to get on board because there's just so much stuff that they can't, they just can't keep kicking against it? Yeah, I think, uh, Carrie, we'll measure that in years because there's a small, very small percentage of people seeing what you described. So when we're on Twitter and Facebook and, and we're on the web, we see a ton of this stuff because we're in the movement. But Joe Soap or Mary Soap out in the street who's on Twitter just sees pictures of cats or I don't know what, whatever <laughs> politics. They, they don't see this. Our feeds are full, but not theirs. So 99% of people think low-carb, might have some benefits for weight loss, but it's also a little bit of a fad. And remember that all influential, interested parties and industries are all against low carb because no big industry has anything to gain and they broadly have a lot to lose. So there's no conspiracy. It's just that every influential industry does not like it because it's not good for business. So they're all going to, in their own way, steadily apply pressure and fund studies and advertise against low carb. Not because they're evil, because they're interested in their business. <laughs> and that huge force is being applied all the time all around us. So that's going to slow things down a lot. But when's the data going to be so m massive that it tips the scales the other way when they're going to have to go, you know, not, not consumers, but the interested parties that they're going to have to go. They literally can't get up and look themselves in the mirror anymore because it's like, we can't keep saying this doesn't work. I think it's already happening, Carrie. Um, I asked Richard about this. The Verda studies are, are hard to ignore, and the American Diabetes Association, Richard and I think that they did a reverse course on low-carb, and they even call it extremely low-carb diets are a, a way to treat diabetes. They have actually come out and admitted it, and we think that is a direct result of Verda's research. What do you think, Ivor? Yeah, I'd say Verta are getting a lot of attention. They're official. They're squeaky clean. People are accusing them of being biased or conflict of interest, but that's complete junk. Um, their data speaks for itself. It's published. It's respectable. And it's excellently executed. Now, to be mm -hmm. honest, they're only doing what we know can be done. But in fairness, they're right. doing it at a large scale in a very official capacity, and it's getting noticed. There's no question. So the, the dike is beginning to break. I just think that industry will keep shoring it up as much as they can for as long as they can. But I agree it's beginning to show real promise. And dietdoctor.com in uh, Sweden with Andrea Seinfeld, they're getting more mass appeal now beyond the traditional low-carb community. Uh, so Verta, the work of Volokh, 
a lot of studies are coming out on ketogenics now in lots of different diseases, Carrie, to your point, showing benefits across the board. The military, recently there was an article that the military are considering in America keto to fight obesity and to give the military more physical robustness. Uh, and that's in the military times. That, that was in the military newspaper that this latest thing came out, or I'm not sure the name. No, that you're absolutely right. I posted a link to that on Facebook, and I I got vitriol from ex veterans and not uh, and other people who said, "Now get this, this was the argument: soldiers will never be able to do it." Hey, guess what? You know what? Soldiers can't do anything for boot camp. Boot camp is the perfect place to become fat adapted. You're in there for three or four weeks or whatever it is. You know, if this is what you have to eat, this is what you're going to eat, or are you going to get the, you know what, slapped out of you, right? This is just like, we can't, soldiers can't do that. Come it's on. insane. Soldiers can do anything. They're meant to be able to eat reptiles and, and insects if they're out in the jungle or the desert. So of all people, ordinary people like you or me can do keto without even trying. Never mind soldiers. And the other thing is, what if they just had meat, fish and eggs for a month or two? Would that be seen as punishing treatment in boot camp? Like you said, no way. Oh, we're That's only crazy. going to give you meat, fish, and eggs, and terrine, and pate, and you know all you're these. Bacon. And that's all you're getting, boy, for the next four weeks. <laughs> right? Is that going to scare them? Are they going to be shaking in their military boots? No. I want to be on the pate diet. <laughs> yeah, or terrine, even better. Here in the south of France, the terrines are divine. They're very coarse pate with lumps of ham, hock, and sometimes duck. And they're very coarse with a skim of fat on the top in a little ceramic pot. Oh, it's just too good. <laughs> um, I want to get back to this anecdote I was telling you about. My friend's father, who had dementia and a, and a tumor blocking his stomach, she mentioned, uh, or I think it maybe was her husband, that mentioned to the doctor, can you just give him a little bit of MCT oil, you know, maybe get some ketones directly going to the brain and see what happens? I mean, this is a risk-free thing that you can try. There's no risk. It's just food. It's just a supplement. And the doctor said no. Ooh, naughty dog. What? What the hell? Yeah, there's, I, I think, Carol, though, and, and Carrie... Again, it comes back to instinctive human psychology. Anything to doctors that sounds like it's going the opposite way of orthodox belief is scary, unsettling, worrying, and has no upside for them. Because what if you give the MCT oil that they, they'll have heard on the media, keto, MCT oil, coconut oil, Alzheimer's, and yeah. they'll all think that's all crazy woo stuff. Right. So then if someone says, well, why don't we try this? It's all downside. If, if, they, if they agree and the person seems to get better, they're supporting woo against their own profession and their own professionals and professors. And if the thing doesn't work, well, who cares? I think humans want to follow authority, especially within their own profession. They believe in their colleagues, in, their, in the people in their organization. And they, when they hear MCT oil and keto, they hear, we, we were wrong. We were wrong. We missed stuff. And they don't like it. They don't like it at all. 
I think it's the responsibility of a doctor to follow that oath that they took and try to, you know, do everything they can to heal their patients. Otherwise, what are they doing? I agree, but to them in their heads, psychologically, they think that they're fulfilling their oaths by, by basically supporting their profession. And what, what you're talking about is kind of a quiet attack on their profession. It's saying they were wrong, yeah. they missed something. So they think, I'm going to protect my profession, protect medicine, protect my colleagues. Mm. And anyway, we're right. We know we're right. At least that's what they think. They believe they're correct and they believe the stuff outside is woo. Therefore, they push back against woo because the woo is is anti-medicine. I'm just (laughs) explaining how they think. Yeah. Uh, They may not even know that they're thinking this way. It's subconscious. But you're right. Of course, they should say, well, look, maybe we were wrong. Maybe we missed something. And more importantly, maybe the patient will get better. I mean, I think that's, that's what it's all about. But I, I don't want to attack doctors here because the, it, it, there are a lot of doctors that are you know, trying this on themselves, understanding it, seeing um, how beneficial ketones are and lack of sugar and starch. And that's really what it's all about. Young doctors are the future. I know quite a few young doctors in Ireland and all around the world. And the young doctors are internet savvy. They're actually able to go out there and find out what we're talking about. And I think they're going to change the world. And industry is going to have a problem with young doctors going forward because they are going to influence. Actually, my own daughter just got medicine in Ireland. So (laughs) not easy. She was a couple of years. She got 94th percentile in the HPAP med entry oh. uh, aptitude test. It's, wow. it's a tough, tough game. <laughs> so she's in. Congratulations to her. So, uh, Ivor, we're going to let you get back to your family and fun in the sun in the south of France. It looks like you're having a great time. You look very relaxed. Yeah, I've been, I've been keeping the podcast the last two weeks going out, keeping up with email and stuff. But most of the time, yeah, just with the family and getting some rays. Good for you. And eating pate. Tureen. Oh, Tureen. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff, guys. Catch you next time. All right, Ivor. Thank you. Take care. Bye, Carrie. Bye, Carl. Hey, uh, yeah, it's funny that he mentioned cat videos on YouTube. You're like the queen of cat pictures lately. <laughs> yes, and anyone that could watch me now while we've been recording, I've had this tiny little like three-pound gray fluffy thing crawling all <laughs> over me because she doesn't like being away from mummy. It's been like cat YouTube right here. Yeah, you know it, yeah. Well, uh, I think it's time for a, you know, a, uh, a recipe. A recipe. What a, what a brilliant idea, sir. Yes, a recipe. Just like that. Okay, <laughs> what's our recipe today, Carrie? You, you, are you really going to, like, hold it together? Really? Absolutely. Are you, are, can you I'm, do it? I'm feeling just less uh, angry right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're a hoot. Okay. What you got? Yes, I have a recipe. 
And because it's hotter than Hades here where I am and where Ivor was in the south of France and where you are down the road from me, mm-hmm. I thought that we'd have a little summer thing. I know that I always want to eat less when it's hot. Um, but if you're, especially if you're going to a gathering maybe, and you just want a little dessert thing, but you really only want a mouthful, this Mm. is something that will be great for just a quick little bite to finish off your meal. And it's super summery flavors. So the recipe today is coconut lime jellies. Oh, I've had these. You have had these because I bought them too. Um, one of our mini fests for part of the dessert. That's right. And everybody absolutely loved them, but I just thought they'd be perfect for the end of a of a nice summer meal. Yeah. So here we go. They're super simple. They take 10 minutes to throw together and then a couple of hours to chill in the fridge along with all those bags of ice. <laughs> so you're going to need one and a half cups or 12 fluid ounces of thick coconut milk. And by that, I mean the stuff that comes in a can. Yeah. So that's pretty much one whole can. You're going to want three tablespoons of gelatin, Mm. a quarter of a cup or two fluid ounces of coconut oil, right? three tablespoons of allulose or two tablespoons of xylitol and erythritol, depending on which one you prefer. Okay. Three teaspoons of vanilla extract. Two limes, and you're going to want the juice and zest of those. And then two ounces or 55 grams of almonds, which have been blanched, chopped, and toasted. So, and if you're like me, you just buy them ready, blanched, chopped, and toasted at Trader (laughs) Joe's and like cut that hole. Because who wants to be toasting nuts in the middle of summer? Right. Me. So you can buy those ready done, which makes this super, super fast. So what you're going to do, you're going to place the coconut milk in a small bowl and sprinkle the gelatin evenly over the surface and leave it to soften for five minutes. Now, the technical term for that is blooming. Right. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're blooming the gelatin in the, co- the thick coconut milk. Then you're going to put the coconut oil and your sweetener and vanilla extract in a small pan, and you're going to warm it over a low heat until completely melted and combined. And it really does not have to be hot. Once the coconut oil and sweetener and extract are melted and warm, you're going to add the coconut milk and the bloomed gelatin to the oil mixture in the pan and stir until the gelatin is melted. Yeah. Then you're going to remove it from the heat. You're going to add the juice and zest from the limes and you're going to stir it well. And then you want to pour all of that into a small jug, but pick one that pours really cleanly because this will will make the next step super easy. You're going to get either paper cases or ice cube trays or silicon molds, whatever you have, kind of bite-sized pieces, And you're going to distribute the toasted almond pieces evenly amongst all of your your molds. And then you're carefully going to pour the coconut mixture over the almonds. And I suggest that you swirl the jug just for a second between each pouring so that the lime zest does not all settle to the bottom of the Ah, jug. Ah, nice tip. So pour and swirl, pour and swirl. And then when you filled all your molds or ice cube trays or paper cases, 
carry it carefully to the fridge and I suggest putting it on a, a large platter or, or a baking tray or something that you can carry it very steadily and put that in the fridge for at least two hours until they're completely firm. Great. So it that may have sounded complicated, but actually it, it's a few steps, but it's very, very easy and it's very, very fast. Um, a couple of tips. When you're working with canned coconut milk, you want to shake it very, very well before opening. Oh, right. Now, in the summer, you shouldn't have this problem because it's typically liquid in the in at room temperature. But if you shake your can of coconut milk and it doesn't sound like there's any liquid inside, stand the unopened can in a bowl of hot water for 10 minutes and then shake very well before opening and using. Very good. Don't worry if your gelatin coconut milk mixture is lumpy, clumpy, or otherwise weird looking. When you add it to the oil mixture, warm and stir, it will be fine. So don't think you failed if that's the case for you. Um, toasting almonds. You can use untoasted almonds, but I highly recommend either toasting them or buying them pre-toasted because it definitely makes a difference to the crunchiness and the flavor of the jellies that's worth doing that extra step or buying them already done. Mm. Uh, people may want to know how many pieces you're going to get. And of course, that depends on the size of your mold or your ice cube tray. In, in my mind, the smaller the molds, the better, because it's better to eat two small jellies if you need them rather than eating a larger one that you then find is too much and then you find you've overeaten. Right. So I always make these things in small molds and, and eat one and then have another one if I need it rather than eating a bigger one that, that I find I don't actually need. That is sage advice. And speaking of sage, did I tell you about my brown butter sage sauce for my raviolis? <laughs> Is that in the cookbook? Oh, yeah. Oh, then I don't want to hear about it. I just want to hear how good it is, and then I want to get the cookbook to actually go make it myself. Why don't you come over later and we'll make some? Woohoo! I actually am very excited talking about sage. My herb garden is back up and running, and um, sage is one of the things I've got growing in abundance on my deck. And All right, bring me some. New this year, <laughs> I, I'm growing tarragon, which is oh. my favorite, favorite, favorite herb ever, and I haven't killed it yet, so I'm super excited about that. And <laughs> the most exciting thing is the basil or the basil. basil. I, I've never in Seattle, I never managed to keep basil alive, but this year I've got um, basil all over the deck. So, All right. Awesome. See what happens when you mention things like sage. I know. Well, okay, you're going to have to bring me some and then I'll make you some ravioli. So, um, coconut lime jellies. That's it. Make them. They'll also, I, I had them taste tested by an expert four-year-old who thought they were the best thing ever. Wow. So don't worry about giving them to your little humans because um, they are tested and approved. Fantastic. Well, I guess that uh, wraps up this episode of Two Keto Dudes. You know, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, some more research you found to support or refute anything we've said, 
Send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Make sure to use the hashtag Two Keto Dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.twoketo.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success. Also, check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, if Facebook is your thing. And if you feel like supporting the forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on the Two Keto Dudes Patreon page at patreon.twoketo.com. And if you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, Two Keto Dudes Gold. We also have a free Facebook fan page at fb.2keto.com, so go follow us there. And you can see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. Also, we have an Amazon affiliate store, so you can buy your favorite keto ingredients and devices by going to amazon.2keto.com, and you can help us out at the same time. And if you haven't already, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts, because that's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Now listen up, kids. Keep calm, keto on, and keto fest once a year. Yes, keep calm and keto on, Carl. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.